Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. It's on page 64. Of the Pew Bible. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we study His Word. Lord, give us Your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit who gave this Word. We need Him, Lord, that this Word would uh, mean something to us, that we would understand more of God and of Christ, and not simply knowledge, Lord, but that our hearts would be stirred, and not just that our hearts would be stirred, but that our lives would be transformed, that this Word would become a part of us, that it would change us. Lord, make us a people week after week, and, and me as a pastor, and we as elders and deacons and leaders of this church, Lord, make us all to come to Your Word daily and especially weekly in worship expecting to be changed and, Lord, not being satisfied unless there is continual progressive change by your word. Bless us, Lord. Affect us by your word. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> our, uh, our Christian life can be, become distorted in, in so many ways. 
I mean, other people's, not, not mine, of course, you understand. Um, it can become just a series of responsibilities and activities that fills out our schedule or maybe overruns our schedule. Uh, the Christian walk can become for us kind of an interesting source of knowledge and study, a kind of hobby of the mind as we explore information and history and theology of the Bible and of the church. Or uh, Christian walk can become uh, just a source of friendship and connection, a way to find our place in a town, to, a way to belong. But that, that's church for us. Or it can be a place where we feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're, we're part of a group that is helping the world, changing the world. A place where we can find satisfaction in using our gifts and projects and events. Or the church can be a kind of training ground where we better ourselves. We drop bad habits and we pick up good ones. We create new disciplines. We bring order and success to our lives. Now, of course, the Christian life includes responsibilities and activities and study and friendships and purpose and disciplines. But what is the molten core of the Christian life? What should permeate every aspect of our Christian life? What is the heartbeat that brings life and nourishment and energy to every part? We saw last week a few verses, a few chapters earlier, what God says as he meets with Israel, having drawn them out of Egypt. We are fairly familiar with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And finally we come to Mount Sinai. And here's the place where the covenant is going to be made. The marriage bond in blood between God and his people. And the first thing, one of the first things he says in chapter 19, when they're at Mount Sinai, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There we have it. All of the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the fire by night and the cloud by day, all of this has brought them to this point. I want you for myself. I want you for me. And so the wilderness, even though it's a barren wilderness, God has in mind, this is a sanctuary where we will meet and have fellowship and you will adore me and worship me and find joy in me. And so this meeting and this eating in his presence is all a beginning, you see. It's interesting that beginning in the next chapter 25, there's the building of the tabernacle. The construction of the tabernacle, which is the tent, uh, it's called over and over in, uh, in this uh, section, the tent of meeting. Meeting with God, that's what it's for. It's the place of meeting with, with God. Exodus 29 says, this is the tent of meeting where I will meet with you and speak to you there. Later in Exodus 30, uh, he says, I will meet with you in that place. And in both places, it's interesting. The Greek translation of the where I will meet with you is this. It's a future passive word. It means you, I will be made known in that place. I will be made known in that place. 
And so this is an intimate place. Uh, the, the tabernacle is where he comes among them and, and they will see all over the place. There is God in our midst having fellowship with us. At one point after the golden calf, there was like a temporary tent away from the people where it's as though Moses himself was the only one now meeting with God. And it says Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the, the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting. And so at the end of Exodus, after the construction of the tabernacle, the, the announcement of the plan, and then the construction, finally in chapter 40, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I called you out of Egypt for myself to reveal my glory to you. That is a happy thought, <laughs> that the Lord intends to reveal His beauty to you now, progressively, forever. To meet with you, to have you, to fellowship with you, to be intimate with you, that you might be happy in His presence, be in awe of His presence, that you might be thankful in His presence. So the whole of Exodus, beginning with this passage especially in this passage and following, it's just laden with marriage overtones. It sings with romance. He says there in chapter 19, if you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. I'm picking you in an exclusive covenant relationship with you, Israel, and no one else. That's marriage language. You are my bride. And he says that in chapter 19, and here in chapter 24, we have the ceremony itself. It's a ceremony of, of the shedding of, of blood. It's a ceremony with blood on the altar and blood on them. That speaks of God's mercy and covering of them. It's, it speaks of their sin being washed away. It speaks of the gravity of it, that it's a life and death covenant. If you give yourself to me and have fellowship with me, you will have life. If you don't, you will die. If you don't enjoy and rest in my love and have fellowship with me and open yourself to my beauty and receive me, you will die. Because His glory is the only life we have. His glory is what we were made for. We will die without His glory. We'll die without fellowship with this God. And of course, when they move from uh, temporary housing to permanent housing... Uh, when they moved in the land, he moved from temporary housing, the tabernacle, the tent, into permanent housing, the temple. And in the same way, when the temple was built, his glory filled it, and the priest had to get out of there because of the glory of God. In the exile, Ezekiel speaks of the glory slowly leaving the temple precincts. Because you see, the whole of Israel has to do with fellowship with God and drinking in, beholding, and manifesting His glory. And if you're not going to do that, you have no relationship with Him. And Israel was cast out and exiled. And of course, God drew them back. And He draws us back, especially in the new covenant in Christ. So here is this 
glorious covenant being made with Israel uh, through the shed blood of these animals. And we talked about last week how the burnt offering in verse 5 speaks of their own dedication. The whole of the animal is burned up. So in this covenant, our side is that we give ourselves completely up to His will. We, give our, we entrust our lives to Him. We gladly say, oh, you're worthy, you're wise, you're good, you're glorious. I just, here, take my life. Take all that I am. Save me. Take away my guilt. Forgive me. Transform me. Keep me. Hold me till you remake the earth, O Lord. You come again and resurrect me. Lord, I entrust myself to you. The idea of dedication. So in chapter 19, we have their statement, we give ourselves, we will do all that you say. In chapter 24, they say the same thing. And in the middle of it is the giving of the law. And so here it is, God speaks and the proper, and we know that Israel was very weak in their commitment, but it still stands as an example to us that uh, dedication is, our, uh, is part of what we do in the presence of God. We give ourselves to Him. But the other word is delight. And I really want to try to wed those things, as I did last week, uh, d- dedication in the context of delight and delight in the context of dedication. Sometimes we think of those as almost two different things. Yeah, you got this, you got to give yourself to Him, but there are also those times where you really just rest and take comfort in His love. I want those to be exactly part of the same thing. There is no dedication to Him unless there's delight in Him. And there really is no delight unless it means that you are dedicating yourself to Him. They, they either stand together or they're gone. Delight and dedication. And so, along with the burnt offering there in verse 5, there on page 65 in your pew Bibles, there's the peace offering. And the peace offering is one in which there's a sacrifice, but then that sacrifice is not burned up. As we used the word last last week, it's grilled, okay? And you eat that sacrifice in the presence of God as a symbol of the shalom, the peace, the wholeness that you have with God, the forgiveness you have with God, the thanksgiving and the adoration. Some peace offerings are called thank offerings. And we want to talk a little bit about thankfulness in that regard. So there is, there is this dedication, but there is this glorious fellowship. They actually beheld God and they ate and drank. Talk about the calmness and right. It's very hard to eat when you're, you know, trembling, scared to death. They are eating in perfect calm and rest, though, of course, it was awesome because he did not lay his hand on them. There was peace and shalom. He was not against them. They had his favor. It's that idea of fellowship that I'd like to, uh, of delight in him. And I'd like to look at fellowship and thanksgiving in that regard. It's interesting how in the New Testament we have the same kind of language as we find in Exodus 19. I bore you in eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Okay? Now, listen to 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered also once for sins, the just or the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the point. That I might be brought into fellowship and intimacy with God. When he hung on the cross, what did he want to accomplish for you? That you would have intimacy with God. 
And does that mark your relationship with God? Does that mark your Christian life? Are you in, are, do you have a sense of his favor and fellow? In other words, does your life kind of a picture of eating and drinking in the presence of God at peace because you know he will never raise his hand against me? You see that little, these are types, these are things to teach us what our relationship to God is to be like. And, and here's the picture that we are at rest, at peace with him. We've been brought to him through Christ. And listen to the language of fellowship in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You were called for that. that. Like when he laid hold of your life, he called you into communion with his son. Into participation of his life. Into intimacy, sharing, or another translation, a close relationship. Koinonia, we're familiar with that word. So you're called into this communion. But interestingly, your calling of others to God is based on your present enjoyment of that fellowship. Listen to how John puts it in 1 John 1. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He's speaking of their own uh, personal contact and relationship with Jesus Christ. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we invite others to be a part of us, we are inviting them to be a part of our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so without fellowship with Him, we have nothing to offer others. That's part of our testimony is our union with Him, our communion with Him, our pouring our hearts out to Him, our hearing Him speak to us in the Word and the comfort and strength and glory that it brings to us, how it transforms our lives and our relationships even. That's the testimony that we give to people. We are in fellowship with God and it makes all the difference in the world and to how we think and what we feel and what our purposes are, how we perceive the world, how we relate to others, how we fulfill our responsibilities, how we use our gifts. We proclaim to you to come to us into fellowship and here's our fellowship. We have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. You see, we're calling them into a happy thing, a happy, glorious thing that we, by His grace, are experiencing. We're experiencing, by His grace, intimacy and favor. And we're wanting others to taste that intimacy and favor that we have with God. And so Jesus prays in John 17, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We are one, you and I are one only because we have fellowship in him. It's not just because some of you like Alabama football that we have fellowship, because most of you don't, okay? I'm in a foreign place here, okay? But that's, that's nothing. It matters nothing, does it? 
What matters is that we have a common love for Jesus Christ, that we have a common need for His grace, a common sense of our sins, a common desire, a common taste. If you ever, surely you've talked about eating at a certain restaurant. Have you ever tried their chocolate pot? (gasps) It's to die for. Yes, I have. You know, you're sharing a taste. You're sharing a flavor. You've seen a certain movie. You've read us. Have you read that book? What did you think when so-and-so? Oh, I just could You share, you see. You share the experiences of even entertainment and art. You share knowing certain people. And you've met someone and said, did you, did you happen to know uh, Joe Granger? Did you? Did you? Yes. Is he not one of the funny? I know he made me laugh of common, common experience. Well, that's what draws us to each other. We have a common taste of Jesus Christ. And then he says in John 17, a a few verses later, the last verse, I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The love that they share... (laughs) becomes the love that we share. Christ, in a sense, is opening up the love of the Godhead to include us. There is eternal fellowship, and we're being admitted into that intimacy. And only if we have fellowship with them can we have fellowship with each other. And do we have anything to offer this world that is bereft of relationship, that is lonely and broken and empty? We offer them Fellowship. We offer them intimacy and relationship because we have fellowship with the living God. But if your Christian life is just doing stuff or it's having success, if your Christian life is just hanging out with people, then what do we have to offer this dark world? The world doesn't need another club. They don't need another project. (laughs) They don't just... They need the full revelation of God. They need fellowship with God. So, fellowship. But let's talk before we close about thanksgiving. In all four Gospels, interestingly, at the feeding of the 5,000, and that's found in all four of the Gospels, it talks in every case about Jesus giving thanks before He broke the bread and dispersed the fish. Uh, actually, Luke uses a different phrase in his account. He says he, uh, the phrase is, he said a blessing over it, over the loaves. And that probably means that he blessed God or thanked God. Same thing, but said in a different way. Also, it's interesting in John 6, about verse 23, it says that the boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. You'd think he would have just said, the boats came back to Tiberias where he, you know, the miracle of the bread occurred. But it says, after they eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. It's like underscoring that, almost that that was the most important part of it. The thanksgiving of, uh, of Jesus, the, the blessing of, to God. And then in the three Gospels where the Lord's Supper is included, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, 
It describes Jesus establishing the Lord's Supper of, of taking the bread and the wine that night. And in each case, it talks about his giving thanks and his blessing. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul gives the account of what happened that night, he talks about Christ giving thanks. It's interesting, the word for giving thanks is oikoresteo, okay? But we're familiar with the word Eucharist in English. And some traditions, historically, that's what they call the Lord's Supper. It's the Eucharist. Well, it literally means it's the thanksgiving. It's the giving of thanks. And as I said before, from verse 5 of chapter 24, it talks about the peace offerings. These also became thank offerings as well. And so the Lord's Supper in the most glorious way becomes a thank offering, except the offering has already been made in Christ Jesus. It's been made once for all. It is the final perfection and consummation of all the offerings to which they pointed, without which they had no meaning whatsoever. It's the offering of Jesus Christ. And we come, we come together to give thanks, to rejoice in His presence. It's a celebration of the relationship that we have with God. It's on purpose that we are at table together. There's a reason why, though we don't do it in this church, if we ever propose to do so and, and have the Lord's Supper more often, we may do it in a way that doesn't, just for practical concerns, is distributed. And some people might think, well, that wouldn't be right because I love it when we're down there and we hear the elders speak to us. And that's true and that's good and I love it too. It's one of my favorite things. But it is also proper for us to sit at table as though all of us are at table and we distribute it even as the disciples distribute it to each other. And we speak the peace of Christ to each other and we give thanks and it tells us we are at table with the living God. He is present in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, this God is giving us his own body and his own blood for our lives. How intimate and glorious. It's not the sprinkling of the blood. It's the eating and the drinking of that which represents his life. Which means to us that you have favor for he gives himself freely to us. To you eat and drink. He is yours and all that he has done is yours. Eat it and drink it so that you know that it's yours. So that you taste the comfort and the glory of being in the presence of God. If this was an awesome thing, if this was an awesome thing to see the pavement of sapphire stone, they think perhaps they looked up and the sky was blue and it was like the, the foundation. Some think they may have even seen like his feet almost in, in some form that shot up just absolutely glorious. I remind you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, the glory of the old is so, basically he says this, the glory of the old is so small, the glory of the new far outshines it. The glory of the new is such that it makes the old have no glory anymore. And in terms of a supper, as glorious as this is, it doesn't compare the fellowship that we have in the presence of God through our Lord Jesus Christ as we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, that which is represented to us in Him. And so, supremely, 
that teaches us not only at that time, but to, for that to be the mark over our whole life. We talked about how the blood was, it stained their skin and it stained their clothes. It was a mark upon them. You belong in covenant. And for us, that covenant joy that we have before Him, that's to mark our lives. In one sense, we never leave the table all week long, you see. We never leave the sweetness of that fellowship, that sense of God's favor and and the joy that we have. And so Philippians 4 can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what? In Him. In what He is. What He has done for you. And that's why in Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thanksgiving, marking your life because you sit at table with the Lord Jesus. That's why... We cast out anxiety through thanksgiving. That's why Paul writes in Philippians, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, the shalom of God. Oh, <laughs> that bump on the head, sorry. Sorry, I couldn't ignore that. Better to all go, all than to act like it didn't happen. Poor little thing. Tell I've got a granddaughter who's 18 months old. So, um, <clears throat> but He says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, there it is. It's shalom, it's peace, it's thanksgiving that casts out anxiety. And He doesn't say that your problems have been solved, that anything's changed. Nothing has changed. It's your attitude. It's your perspective. It's your fellowship with God that's changed. It's your trust in Him that's changed. Because you've unburdened your heart and you've begun to give thanks. You've entered into the joy of fellowship with Him. You've extended the table into another part of your life. Never leave the table in one sense. And it is that kind of thanksgiving that issues in mercy and love. Interesting how he weds these together, the writer of Hebrews Hebrews in chapter 13. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In the same breath, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and the sacrifice of doing good. Thankful people do good. They do. They do. People that rejoice in God do good. That's why our mission statement says, nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people by proclaiming and living out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it encouraging, this passage we read in Isaiah 25, it's not only looking to the future, which it does, but the future has broken in on us 
We are proclaiming to the nations a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And He already has a covering over His church. We already are under the cloud and under the blazing light of God's glory and kindness and goodness. We are in the new covenant, a relationship with God that puts even all of those things in the shade. That's who we are. That's what we are. And feasting marks us now. It will mark us forever. As Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 8, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, Revelation 19, the voice of a great multitude crying, Hallelujah! Let us rejoice and give Him glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And he speaks then of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love to think, and I've said it before, but uh, heaven is pictured, the new heavens and the new earth, as a marriage feast that never ends. A honeymoon feast and celebration that never ends. And it is so important for us to proclaim that, to live out that feast of fellowship and thanksgiving in this place, and it to spill into every part of your life. And one of the most critical parts of this is this. And this is a question that I ask uh, new members. Are you confident that God will receive you completely Embrace you with joy and pour out His goodness into your life day by day. Do you come to God just as you are, right in the midst of all your failures and sins and blemishes, and you rest in His mercy and forgiveness as it is in Christ? Are you confident He will receive you completely, embrace you with joy, and pour out His goodness into your life every single day? Is that what... Is that what you believe about God? I offer you no other God but that. There's not another one. You make up one if you want. (laughs) You make up a worse God that's not that merciful. But that's the true God. That's the God who offers himself to you. That in Christ, he wants so to embrace you that you sit at table and he doesn't raise his hand against you. And he pours out his favor and goodness And that's why David could say, speaking of the table, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We don't have time to touch on it, but I must tell you, if you refuse this banqueting table, the rest of Revelation 19 speaks of another feast, another supper, It is the supper of God's wrath. And the picture is of birds eating the flesh of those who refuse to taste His goodness. So in that sense, there will be a supper for you. You will be either at table or you will be the horrible victim of wrath forever because you said to God, I don't want to sit at table with you. I don't want your love. I don't want your favor. I don't want your kindness. Oh, give yourself to Him. Give yourself to this God. Let us pray. Lord, we... 
We should be more amazed. We're some amazed. I'm some amazed at the love that you offer to us that you would be so completely committed to the good of people. So completely committed that we would know your comfort and joy, that we would be intimate with you, that we would be progressively transformed, that we would taste your fellowship. Oh, Lord, bless us. That we will have this delight as we dedicate ourselves to you. It will be in the context of this amazing delight of fellowship with God and thanksgiving and joy in God because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Enable us to trust you that indeed Jesus does take away our sins on the cross. Indeed, Jesus does transform our lives. Jesus does give us his Holy Spirit. Jesus does work all things together that we might more and more be conformed to his image. Oh, Lord, grant us that faith for your name's sake. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace The wonders of the